You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. We continue our series, Advent series, and today we're thinking about this idea of peace. And I'm a pretty visual thinker, and so whenever I think of this word peace, I think of Miss Universe or Miss America and that moment where they're asked those wonderfully intelligent ladies, and I've worked hard to get to this point, and they're asked that question, if you could have one wish in the world, what would that wish be? And inevitably, somebody says world peace. And it is a great idea. It would be great if we could accomplish world peace. It's something that we've been striving for since the garden. Since everything broke apart there, there's been this striving for peace. And so we we think about this idea of what peace is, and we think of peace, I think most of the time we think of the absence of conflict. And I think that's a good thing. I think it, it has to do with nations. It also has to do with relationships and what does peace look like. And in the Old Testament, there was this interesting word called shalom that meant peace. And it was this peace that passes our human understanding, that this peace that overwhelmed the entire being. And in the New Testament, it's the same idea. The word for shalom and peace in the New Testament is irene. And again, it's this peace that passes understanding of all the human. It overwhelms our entire being. And so I think what I want you to grasp this morning is this idea of peace is it overwhelms us. It's like a wave washes over you. And so that you experience the fullness of that. And so the, the way that we can experience the fullness of hope and peace, something like I said earlier, is kind of like a mist that we kind of attain, but you know that you've got it. When you have hope and when you have peace, you know that you've got it because you've experienced it. And the way that we can, as followers of Jesus, experience hope and peace is through Christ. And we know that through the word Throughout scriptures, gnosko, to know God is an experiential knowledge of him. It's beyond just this mind, intellectual knowledge of him, but it's an entire being experience. Again, like a wave has washed over you, you've tasted and you've seen and you've experienced that the Lord is good. You know that you know that you have hope and you have peace and you have joy because you've experienced it. And so this gnosko word is, is a, an acknowledgement of the fact of what shalom is, is to bring peace and to bring joy to your entire being. So when we think of the word soul, that word is nefesh in the Old Testament. And this word for soul, we have a tendency to think of it as kind of like a container. That inside of us, we have this little container. And that when we were born, God put a soul in us. And yes, but no. We do have a soul, but in the Hebrew thinking, the soul was our entire essence, our entire being. As a matter of fact, soul, nefesh, literally means our throat. So it's this idea that everything that comes in the throat and comes out of the throat enters into your soul, your entire being. So that when we know Jesus and we get washed over with peace, it's not just the soul container that receives peace, but our entire being that receives peace. And so that's a really cool thought. And then whenever Jesus says to us, he says, hey, I have come that you might have peace and have peace to the full. They have life to the full. And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Well, heart, and again, in Hebrew thinking, was more than just this cardia, physical thing. That was one piece of it. But in Hebrew thinking, everything centered in the heart. 
your emotional life, your motivational life, your emotional life, and your physical life, everything came out of that. And so when Jesus said to us, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, he's talking about the seat of everything, of who you are, resides here, and with all of your soul, with all of your essence. Okay, so this completeness of to know me is to experience me completely. And so this peace that washes over us refreshes our soul, our entire being, and refreshes our heart. And so therefore, now when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, that impacts our emotions, that impacts our thoughts, that impacts our motivations. Everything is changed because we've experienced who Jesus is. He's transformed our heart, and the things that we appetite, that we have an appetite for, are transformed in that moment. So now we can have peace that's not just absence of conflict, But now, shalom literally means the rebuilding of pieces and putting them back together to bring wholeness or completeness to us. And so that when you said yes to Jesus, you've known and you've experienced him, you've tasted and he's seen, and he's brought peace and hope and joy to you that no matter what the world presents and how your life, others may say it's crumbling down, you can have hope and peace and joy because it's built on the person of Jesus Christ. And you're made whole and complete. And that's why whenever we talk about our faith, we say, you can't understand. This is something about Jesus. I can't tell you unless you've tasted and seen. There's an experiential piece to Christian faith that's different from any other religion because creator of the universe resides within our soul the moment that we say yes. And we're made whole and we're made complete in that moment. I remember the very moment that my mom shared the gospel with me at our dining room table. And that I said yes. And that the transaction that took place, just what washed over me, the hope and the peace that you can't understand. Literally, the scripture says that our minds cannot understand, cannot fathom the miracle of the gospel of what happens to our hearts and our souls in that moment when we receive Jesus. So this idea of shalom in Joshua chapter 8 verse 31, it says this, it says, make an altar of shalom, complete stones without any cracks. That our lives, when we say yes, it's bringing the different pieces together and making a complete stone. There's no gaps, there's no missing stones. Shalom reminds us of the fact that life is complex, that there's many pieces to life. And so all of these things come together and that we're constantly seeking after peace. Even Job, at the end end of his life and ministry, he's talking and he looks out in Job chapter 5, verse 24. He counted his possessions, he counted his tents, and he saw that they were safe, that they were shalom, that they were whole, that they were complete. This idea of bringing everything into alignment, that shalom covers the entire being. Some of you may remember the story of David and Goliath and and his brothers, David's brothers. David's brothers were up there and Goliath was this really big guy and he would come out every day and say, I'm going to fight whoever is man enough to fight me. And all the Israelite guys are like, I'm not going to fight that dude. And so this would go on for several days and and weeks. And finally, one day, David's dad said, hey, I think your brothers might be getting hungry. This this little battle is taking longer than we thought. And so David brings some Domino's pizza up to his brothers, and as he's handing them the pizza, he says to them, how is your shalom? How are you doing? How is your peace? So the key idea is that life is complex, and there's these many moving parts, and when we're not in alignment, when we're, not, um, when we're broken, when something is missing, our shalom breaks down. 
And I think that we, we've seen that, especially during this COVID season, that some of the things that have given us worth and value are missing. And so we're trying to realign those things. And what reality is, is it's not the work. It's not this. It's some of its relationships. But more importantly, I think for many of us, it's that we've had moments to sit and be quiet. And we realize that our lives are not in alignment with our creator. And that we're seeking and hoping for a completeness and a wholeness that we haven't had for a long time. That even Solomon, whenever he completed the temple, Solomon completed the temple and it was this shalom. It was brought to wholeness or completeness. Or over the last few weeks, we've had some great talks about oxen and your oxen and your deal. And so if your oxen get out and they damage your yard, you know what you're supposed to do? You are to shalom your neighbors. You are to bring them to completeness and wholeness and to restore them. This also ties into our relationships with one another, that there may be times in our relationships with others where our oxen, our ideas, our attitudes or whatever come out and they hurt our neighbors. And that we're to seek out in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, it says we're to seek out those that we've harmed and to bring those relationships to wholeness. And there's this other further idea in the scripture about this idea of shalom and bringing relationships to wholeness is actually whenever two kingdoms would come together and have a peace treaty in this peace treaty, one, they were committing to peace so that they would not fight one another. And that's part of it, the absence of conflict. But the other part of this that I think is really interesting that the kings of Israel didn't do very well was that they were actually to work together for each other's benefit. So that the two nations not only were to not fight one another, but they were now actually to work together for each other's benefit for their kingdoms. Because they knew that those two kingdoms worked together, not just fought, but they would be for the betterment of all of their people. We actually see this even today, that you know that there has not been a war fought between nations if they have a McDonald's. For real, if two nations have a McDonald's, there has not been a war fought between them. And so I guess they, everybody likes McDonald's fries. I don't know what that is. But there is this man, and here's what I believe, is because we understand that if we're fighting one another, that we can't work together because we are worried and consumed about money. And so, peace, we understand the absence of conflict, but also, for good and bad, that we're to work together for the betterment of each other, to bring each other to wholeness, to bring each other to completeness, that it's not just the absence of war, but it's us working together for the benefit of each other. In Isaiah chapter 9, we actually see this come to fruition, that Jesus is the ultimate example of how two governments should come together, how two kingdoms come together, and peace reigns over them. He brings all things together, right? And so in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5 and following, we see it says this way, For a child is born unto us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. Now that's interesting because he wasn't king. He wasn't king of Israel, but he's called the king of kings. Because his kingdom is not here, he's as a kingdom overall. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. His government and its peace will never end. Its shalom will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. 
the passionate commitment of the Lord's heaven's armies will make this happen. In other words, when the trumpets sound and God the Father says it's time, the armies will come and peace will reign in Christ's kingdom, which is a new heaven and a new earth. Kingdoms will come together for each other's benefit. Jesus' birth in the New Testament, we see, was brought with the announcement that he was bringing peace, or irene, or shalom, for the people. In John fourteen twenty seven, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and of heart. How many of us honestly walked into this place this morning with a complete mind and heart of peace? We are consumed with worry, aren't we? We're consumed with anxiety. We're consumed with our Christmas list. We're consumed with all these different things. And the greatest gift that we've been given is the person of Jesus. And we know that we know that we know when we've said yes to him, we've been washed over with a peace. We've been washed over with hope. We've been washed over with grace and with love. But somewhere along the way, we stop trusting that God's got it under his control. And so we start taking things. And the moment that we begin to take things away from God and begin to worry about them, we lose our peace of mind and our peace of heart because we're worrying about things that aren't our worries. They're his. We've received the greatest gift. I also believe that one of these things about gifts is that we have a tendency to, like Christmas morning, some of you have received a gift and you're like, oh, that's awesome. And you may pull it out and play with it for a little bit, but you never fully experience that gift. And especially with younger kids, right? If you have a one-year-old or a two-year-old, you get them with these really cool gifts. And the next thing you know, they're in the kitchen with a pot and a pan making noises. And you're like, well, why did we get them, in, why did we get them these expensive gifts? I think this is true about salvation for us, is that we experience the gift of salvation, but we don't continue to enjoy it and experience it and figure out the fullness of the gift that we have in Christ. Even some of us, we have these wonderful iPhones and Androids with all these apps and these computers with all these things. And when we really acknowledge the fact that most of that stuff, those apps and those things that make our life better, we really only use like one-tenth of them. We never fully experience all that there is with the technology and the apps that we have. And I think that's true about our faith as well. Is that we experience just a little bit of it, but we never really dig deep into it and just let it immerse ourselves in it. And here are the greatest gift that we receive, and we can have a peace of mind and a heart. And the peace that he gives us is a gift that the world cannot give. Our neighbors are seeking out. If our neighbors do not know Jesus, they're seeking out this peace and this joy, and the world will never get it. It's cheap trinkets. It will never be the fullness of what Christ has for them. So don't be troubled or afraid. So in other words, if you came in here with a heart and a mind that's anxious or worried or consumed with some of those things, Take out the gift and say, God, show me. Let me experience maybe a newness of my faith in Christ and experience the gift that you've given me. Romans 5, chapter 1. We have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. We once were enemies, but now we are his friends. As a matter of fact, we're actually brothers of Christ with God. We have all of everything that's available to Christ is available to us because we're his children. God has brought peace to our relationship with him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and following, I want you to see a few things. One, Jesus brought peace. He is our peace. He made peace and he preaches peace. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. 
He did this by ending the system of law with, with its commandments and regulations. Now, over the last few weeks, we've taught the Ten Commandments, and one of the things that Jesus came to do, this idea of ending that system, isn't ending the Ten Commandments as we've talked about it, because the Ten Commandments that we talked about actually pointed people to Jesus. But there were these additional things that man had added to the law so that people could live out the law. That's just what the Scripture is saying, is doing away with all of the man-made things that you've attempted to do and pointing us to the Ten Commandments to find full life in Him. And He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in Himself one new people from two groups. Two kingdoms that once had been at war now are together. There's been a peace treaty brought together through Christ, and now we're working together for each other's benefit, hope, and peace. So now together as one body... Christ reconciled, brought us together, both groups to God, by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace, shalom, to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near to him. In other words, no matter the standing, he was the only way. As John fourteen six says, Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And salvation is only found through him for the Jew and for the Gentile. No matter what our previous standing was at the cross, it's equal footing. And that's the only place that we can find true life and true hope and true peace. He preached peace. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Shalom, peace, in Christ restores us to completeness and wholeness from this brokenness. And these two kingdoms have declared peace and work together. In Colossians chapter 1, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, in the old days, before Jesus, there was once a year the great high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and they would sacrifice an unblemished lamb. And that unblemished lamb, the blood of it would be put on the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant had a mercy seat. And the blood of that lamb would be placed there and a prayers would be offered. And in that moment, Symbolically, all of the sins of the entire people, the nation of Israel, for an entire year had been forgiven. And every single year they would have to replicate that. And so Jesus is the unblemished lamb that his blood was slain for us so that his blood was laid in the mercy seat of God in heaven that for all eternity, all everyone's sins that said yes to Jesus, their sins would be forgiven and made right with him. And so here, this is what Paul is talking about, is that we have found peace through the blood of Christ that he spilled on the cross. As a matter of fact, even in Scripture, it says that the moment that he died and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The veil in the Holy of Holies was torn from the top to the bottom and was opened up and it made available to us the Holy of Holies through what Jesus did for us. This includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You now, what, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence. You're in his place. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault because of what Jesus has done and what's been placed on the mercy seat. Let shalom that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, 
you are called to live in shalom. One more verse, Romans 3.22. If you've been around church long enough, you've probably heard Romans 3.23. But 22 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That we literally, we put our location in Him. And in that moment that we put our location in Him, when God looks at us, He sees Jesus and He sees our righteousness through Jesus. So we were made right. It is just as if I'd never sinned because of our relationship, our location in Jesus Christ. And this is true of anyone who believes, no matter who you are. In other words, the footing at the cross is equal. It's about us with our nefesh over the throat confessing, Jesus is Lord. And believing in your heart, the place you make decisions, the place that motivates life, is transformed in that moment. And when you say yes, the things over the throat is new life and new hope and peace and hope and joy. And it's found in and located in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the greatest gift that we'll ever receive. My prayer for us is that we're seeking out peace and we're seeking out hope. It's found in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, for each one of us in this room, I pray that we have said yes to Jesus. That we've come to that place where in our soul and in our heart and in our mind that we have said yes to you. Father, if someone in this room has not tasted and seen and has not experienced that hope and that peace, that Father, maybe today's that day, that they would just reach out to you and say, Jesus, I want that hope and that peace. And that I believe that what you did on the cross gives that to me. And that I want to live for you. I want that peace and that hope for all of my life. I pray this morning that as we go out of this place in just a few minutes, that we will be people of peace and seek reconciliation where it needs to be, that we can bring into alignment all of our relationships and find hope and peace and joy. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.